I've been thinking a lot about change making lately, how artists push that change, how organizations attempt to, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And I'm really looking forward to exploring those themes more through this series in dialogue and conversation and through the voices of colleagues and practitioners. I'm Viviani Saltzman, and you're listening to The Culture Shift. I'm a writer and a curator. I'm half Punjabi, half Jewish, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm currently working on a book on BIPOC leadership in the arts, institutional change, and artistic practice. And I'm very grateful to be recording from Takaranto, Treaty 13 territory, and the traditional homeland of many nations, including the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. I'd also like to acknowledge the Green Line for their support of this program. The Green Line is a new hyper-local digital news outlet based in Toronto that investigates the way we live to help young Torontonians survive and thrive in a rapidly changing city. Visit them at thegreenline.to or on Instagram and TikTok. I'm so excited to be in conversation with writer, curator, and cultural producer Sarish Rao. Sarish co-founded Vancouver's Indian Summer Festival in 2011 and has served as the artistic director since then. The festival is one of Vancouver's leading multidisciplinary arts organizations programming through a South Asian lens. In addition to working in cultural production over four continents, Sarish was on the advisory committee of Culture Shift, Vancouver's new culture plan for 2020 to 2029. It's been a big few weeks for Sarish. After 12 years at the helm, along with his partner and fellow co-founder Laura Bispalco, they are stepping down as founders and making space for the next ADED. We spoke about transitions, programming, and what it's like to let go of something you've built. Welcome. Suresh. First of all, Devani, so nice to be here. Thank you so much for, for doing this. I mean, for having me, but also for the, for the larger project that you're doing. My pleasure. You co-founded Indian Summer Festival in 2011. In your mandate, you talk about striving to be loving and fierce with an audacious curatorial punch that dismantles walls, provokes ideas and dialogue, and also the transformative power of arts and their ability to offer society's most renewable resource, hope. Can you tell me a bit about the origins of your mandate? Its roots um, really come from, in some ways, a personal exploration and follows a personal trajectory in that I came here from India about, uh, here is Vancouver, um, from India about um, almost 12 years ago now, and um, I often joke saying that that I only became South Asian when I got here because growing up in India, that's not your primary identity or even one of your identities. That's interesting. And we'll come back to the reframing of identity as a, as a in essence, kind of an, an immigrant to Canada as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, of course, you know, there are every place has its own ways of defining and circumscribing and identifying you. But... Um, this was a new one for me, and and part of it was that I found myself explaining my culture, explaining also art and artists and ways of thinking that I took to be just natural, that, that, that everyone should know, that it should be part of everybody's consciousness. And uh, when you saw that it wasn't, not, not only... Um, you know, in, in specific spaces, but even for the, the broader South Asian diaspora, um, there seemed an opportunity to create a bridge. Um, and um, yeah, and my partner Laura is 
grew up in Toronto and then and then moved here a, a while ago. And um, there is this, there couldn't be two places more further away, as you know very well yourself, Devyani, than Canada and India in terms of their cultural soup. Um, but they're also both works in progress, um, delightful, messy, complicated, with histories that are both beautiful and brutal. And um, somewhere to try and capture that was what the festival, you know, was set up for. Um, to and, and yeah, and Suresh, in that sense, like it's it's an interesting festival because it's a multi arts festival. It's multidisciplinary. You're presenting as artistic director. You're presenting everything from dance to literature to food. It's through a South Asian lens. At any point, did you ever consider? not necessarily framing it within a South Asian context, or was that ever a conversation as you built the organization? Yeah, actually, that's a good question because it, it's been an evolution. Um, when it started out, it was it was as simple as let's create a cultural bridge or more intellectual and cultural traffic between Canada and India. It was as simple as those two sort of, you know, bodies defined by states. And then, of course, um, knowing that we didn't want to get into something that was nationalistic or had anything to do with uh, with that uh, is to broaden the notion of south asian and and broaden uh, because south asia is, is massive and it contains so many multitudes um people from you know different faiths and language groups and identities of all kinds and so to make the space for that but also to a little bit confound um what, say, a South Asian festival ought to do or ought to program. Um, yeah, to really push the boundaries of what we do. So I guess, you know, we've worked with artists from all around the world, from, you know, from so many different cultural backgrounds. So I guess uh, there is a space to evolve even further and, and go beyond that. But this is what a lot of us who work in the festival have roots in South Asia, and this is what we know well. This is, there's a there's a world that we will explore and never get to the bottom of. No, interesting. And I mean, in, in essence, and we'll, co- we'll come back to kind of audience and who you program for, but in terms of just the mandate for a second more, you talk about the, the offering to society of a, re- a really necessary resource, hope. Can we talk about hope for a moment? Because we need it now more than ever. And one of your most recent projects, which I love, is called Artist as Healer. Will you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. And, and you're right. I mean, um, you know, I think 20 years ago, there were people trying to make a case that the arts had a role in healing. And, and then to some extent, we were able to see studies of how music has an effect on plants. And it was all very, you know, still still very nascent. But um, you've only had to look at people now during the pandemic. We've all turned to art in some form, whether it's music or film or books or We've turned to art as a bomb for solace, for escape, for meaning, um, because we just have we're searching for storytelling. What is going on? What is our future? Um, and and that's where art comes in. And I and I think um, it was important uh, for us as an organization that that believes that art has this transformative gift to really reclaim the space for the artist as healer in society. And, you know, in many South Asian cultures and in cultures all around the world, the indigenous cultures of Turtle Island, our host nations here, Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, um, have 
incredible healers who are artists. And um, we just thought maybe there's a space for these kind of silos to to break down. Um, as you said, we're a multidisciplinary festival, so already we don't really like taking the approach of the form of something rather than the idea. So we thought, what if we could bring artists and healers and people working in the more formal medical system together to see really how can, for example, music help in, uh, in post-operative recovery? Um, are there ways that we can do that tangibly? And are there ways that we can bring in artists to be healers in that process? Oh, very interesting. It's a it's a it's a cool multi year project, and it's Suresh. It's you've just launched this, and for our listeners, you're also about to step down. You and Laura, as co founders of this festival that you've built over the last eleven to twelve years, yeah. tell us about this decision. It was announced this week in the press. What are you feeling as you step away from the organization you've built? It's a uh... I keep reaching for botanical analogies because there's something of a cycle. Um, this has been, you know, such a such a dream um, to do this work. Um, I've so so, you know, I, I enjoy it so much. I still think of it always as the, as uh, as a vehicle. But uh, coming up on year twelve, on the twelfth edition of the festival, and as Salman Rushdie puts it so beautifully in, in Midnight's Children, when the when the hands of the clock reach 12, their palms come together in a namaste, no? <laughs> and, and it feels, I don't know, there's, there's cycles to everything. And it, and it feels like a good time and uh, especially nice to do when the organization is thriving and active and beloved and in, in good shape. Um, I think it's always important to, to refresh, to, to take uh, inspiration from botany, therefore, that, that at some point it's good to... It's good to grow some new tendril, and we were feeling ready for that. But never, you know, when you grow and found and build something, you're never sure. I mean, there's always this this feeling that it can't survive without you, and yet this desire for it to survive without you. Um, and and um, at some point, you realize that maybe now it can, and and that's a beautiful feeling. Uh, much as it is, much as it pains you to know that it can. It's 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 funny. It's as you said. It's sort of a bittersweet thing. I we're in this moment of such reckoning, Suresh, in terms of the cultural sector, not only because of the pandemic, but because of systemic inequalities within institutional spaces. You founded this, as you said, within a South Asian framework. What are you hoping? It who are you hoping it serves over the next ten years? And what are your thoughts around succession? Right. Well, I mean, um, festivals or organizations like ours really can point at possibility. I mean, I think, you know, a festival arrives at a certain time of year. It lasts for a few days or, in our case, two weeks and in some cases a month. But that's why I keep going back to the botanical. There's a season of flowering and efflorescence and inspiration and and um, that's what we can offer. And I think that the shifts come over time as these ripple out into the experience of an audience member at an event, at the collaboration that results from putting two artists on stage um, to an institution that takes up a new direction because suddenly it was made possible. 
So I really hope um, that I think every decade or so, every organization needs to ask itself, why do we exist and for whom? Exactly. And I think that's part of what I was getting at is if there's any time we're collectively asking that, especially in, in the country we now call Canada, it's it's now. And can you answer that for yourself at this moment? I think I think it needs a lot of, it's, I don't know how to say it without just being so simple, but love. I think, uh, I think uh, in times of great turmoil and in times of great shifts, um, if we forget tenderness then, uh, and real, you know, acting out of love, and of course we have to always remember, um, you know, when we speak in that way of, of the great bell hooks, um, who, who passed just recently? Who's, uh, who saw love as a verb? Right? It's a, it's it's an active, constant thing, and it's it's and, and that's why I don't know. I keep coming back to the act of gardening or the act of, of nurture. I feel like organizations need to see themselves as places that allow for that because, right now, um, in times of reckoning, a lot of hurt comes to the fore, um, and a lot of really cruel structures are exposed. Absolutely. And when you take down those structures, what then stands? What do you build? What do you, what comes in its place? And without an active gardening and an active um, and, and very intentional acts of love, then you don't replace it with, um, I think, with something meaningful. So that that's uh, there's work. <laughs> there's work. No, I mean it's very real. It, and for those of us who are listening who aren't in Vancouver or who haven't attended. Who are you serving right now, and what does your audience look like? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because um, I think um, speaking myself as for myself as a curator, I've rarely set out to define the audience before doing the work, um, but to really understand uh, to understand and connect with the people around you in community, um, and. Uh, to me here, part of that has been connecting with the South Asian diaspora here, which in Vancouver is is largely from Punjab, largely Sikh. And so that's been a huge learning for me. I come from a very different part of, of the world. I come from the south of India. Uh, we don't share a language. We don't share a landscape. We don't share culinary habits. We don't share a culture. And, and unlike many, uh, yeah, it, it, it is almost a different country. And so that has been a huge learning experience for me and to realize that I am in some ways, um, you know, when, when one says South Asian or there's so many South Asians in Vancouver, that's, again, if you don't understand the intricacies and details of that, I could be the same as someone else. But actually, we, we are learning each other in this process. Um, and the other, other big learning for me has been um, to learn of the host nations and indigenous cultures. Canada does not project to the outside world. And so growing up in India, you never got a sense that Canada was anything but white. And certainly when you look at large institutions here and the way that uh, the power and money is organized, it certainly doesn't give off any other feeling. Um, so again, there, there was work to be done. And, and, and I think that uh, if, uh, if organizations like ours can do anything, we can perhaps create those bridges and opportunities for learning for others so that it is not so much work, but really part of our our narrative. So um, we serve 
really a, a very broad audience, um, which I think is reflected by the programming. Um, about 50 or 60% are South Asian and, and the rest are a mix of various other cultures and backgrounds. Um, we've really been honored and privileged over the years to work with a lot of artists from the host nations and from from other indigenous nations across Turtle Island. Um, and that to me has been such a rich, rich conversation around very, very different experiences of colonialism. But, but we're all here, uh, you know, um, because of the pinball machine of fate and empire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, uh, thank you for giving us a picture of of that audience and also that you program first around the ideas and what Canada looked like to you before you arrived as a newcomer, which is the myth that it has sold for so long, right, Suresh? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, like, in light of that newcomer experience, when you and I have both held positions of what would someone call relative power within certain areas of Canadian arts, and... That has been a privilege and something we've also both worked hard at. How do you how do you see a route for other newcomer artists and arts workers to make their way in terms of cultural production in this country? Because I naively thought five years ago we were a lot further ahead in terms of systemic change and people of color and power than I actually think the reckoning has revealed us to be. I don't know if I'm making much sense to you, but I'm... Yeah, no. Sure. I'm curious to to know what you think the route is, or should we be trying to be in formal institutions as folks of color, or actually doing what you did, which is building your own? Yeah, and this is this is actually Deviani, you've touched upon, you know, a, a huge debate and something that we thought about a lot as well at the festival is: do you create your own spaces, or do you influence? You know what some refer to as the mainstream, or what are really public spaces um, and and owned by the public, uh, whether one thinks of art galleries or museums or you know large institutions which still hold the the largest share of of resources. Um, and and I think I mean, of course, the the answer for the for the bigger piece is to do both. Um, for me, it's always been to create your own space, um, simply to design some sense of possibility. You know, if a festival can be a sort of model for the kind of society you'd like to see, then you have a space in which you do that. It's it's a kind of, yeah, it, it is a prototype. Um, and, I, and I think this conversation comes up a lot when one thinks of futurisms, um, especially for cultures like ours and indigenous cultures and, and you know, African culture. And of course, we owe debt to Afro, Afrofuturism for even, you know, hinting at this kind of possibility that we might uh, bring the ancient and the what is yet to come together in the same space. But I'm interested in that. Um, personally, I'm wondering where uh, where you make the most change. And I've seen generations of diasporic artists, for example, ones before, a generation before us just needed to fit in and find space and adjust and accommodate just to be able to do their work. Um, we might be the first generation that's actually able to articulate our own space. 
Um, and the work is still, you know, there's there's going to be a lot more, as you said, we're not as far along, because we're talking about changing 400 years of power structures. I know. It's, uh, it's very real and somehow very acute right now. And I don't know if you're seeing this, Suresh, but I also feel like there's been a lot of reactionary structural appointments, some of them super great with amazing leaders, others almost a bit of, um, you know, uh, covering up structural inequality, but wanting to appear progressive in the sector and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's every time, uh, let me, this whole, this whole thing, I think this moment of reckoning, this, um, awareness even of how things are structured, are also doing a bit of a number on anyone who, you know, for me, growing up in post-colonial India, for example, I was surrounded in, by my own culture, my own language, my own people, but I was certainly, it, the the prize was not to be fluent in my own culture. I was rewarded for being fluent in English. I was rewarded for learning Shakespeare. I was, you know, trained to look with some degree of scorn on my own language. Um, so you see it in, in your own body, right? The journey that you that you make of moving away from certain aspects of yourself, training other sides, and then realizing, oh, what, what am I doing? Like, am, am, I, am I just, you know, have I completely been colonized in that most dangerous of spaces, my head? Your internal, right, absolutely, an embodied internal colonization tied to loss of language, or as you said, you weren't necessarily working in, um, I'm assuming, Canada, in Bangalore, is that correct? That's right. Canada is my mother tongue. Yeah. And, and how, what, what is your relationship to Canada or what was your relationship to it growing up? It probably sounded well, you went to a colonial school system that encouraged and taught you in English. Exactly. So Canada remains and is the language of emotion for me, of, of speaking literally my mother tongue in that I speak to my mother in it, in that um, I, I, I'm a, I feel like a child again in Canada, but it is not um, by design the the language in which I think conceptually and I think um, and I access the world. So it uh, you do see how that uh, how language or culture, which is often just taken to be that's what's around, is actually directly linked to all kinds of hegemonies, right? English is not the world's most spoken, you know, widely spoken language uh, because it is, I don't know, somehow the most beautiful or the the most easy to communicate in it is it is power and wars and economic and social policy that make it so so that's been quite fascinating to see the 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 fact that for me it's really important in programming to bring in multiple languages because with that you bring bring in multiple worlds um and and that it, that every time i look around us um at things like you know the racial reckoning that we're seeing climate change, um, our own mental health. Um, it really points to, again, something that, you know, a writer we both respect greatly, Amitav Ghosh puts as, it, it, it is a crisis of the imagination. Um, yeah. So whatever we've created, around, the world we've designed around us speaks to a crisis of the imagination. And to me, how does one fight a crisis of the imagination? It is by by nurturing an ecosystem of the of the alternative of the possible 
Uh, and so that means not losing language, that means not losing languages um, and experiences and ways of speaking of relationship with land and different words for um, gender identities and different ways of being in your own skin. And I think that's just really the experiment we've been doing with the festival. It's a small way, it's a, it's a space in which those things can happen and it's a space in which you can play and imagine and keep alive those possibilities as much as you can. And yeah, I think that um, uh, when I think of scale though, the, we are working like so many diasporic arts organizations or artists on so much fewer resources, on such as, you know, on much less support institutionally speaking or even societally speaking because the design just hasn't met this experience yet. And I think that's the tension yeah. of change from within versus building your own spaces. And frankly, after 15 years within institutional space, I, I feel like I've deeply loved the, you know, congregation of people coming together with the ability to, to create and program in those large spaces. But you also have the other side of, is there the scaffolding for that change to actually have runway or last or be truly progressive? And I don't have the answer myself. It's something I'm exploring in a, in a book I'm writing on BIPOC leadership in the arts and institutional change. And But I have hope. I don't know why I have hope right now. Actually, I'm, I'm curious, Devani, if, if I can turn the yeah. questions back at the questioner in a way, because I mean, I you know, this is an ongoing conversation between us, between other folks in, in the sector. Is I'm wondering, you did a lot of amazing work at whether it was the, you know, Luminato or the BAM Center or or the AGO, where we often found echoes of what we were doing just in very different organizations. But obviously, the heart was leading to the same spaces. So how was it to, to program, you know, those kinds of things in those spaces? I mean, it's incredible because, as, as you've noted, there's also uh, Banff was 80 years old. Uh, the AGO was 120 years old uh, within a lot of kind of, bricks and mortar and institutional systems, there's also a lot of support and marketing departments and development and incredible teams and programmers that I feel fortunate to have worked with. So there was a lot of energy and I really enjoyed it, but there was also the challenge of, of the status quo and how much is actually wanting to be embedded in a true authentic lived way versus attempting to appear progressive. And I'm not saying this about any one organization. I'm just saying maybe the tensions are greater than when you're in a nimble, self-created space where your mandate begins with equity. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel very fortunate and I felt most fortunate to work with artists and artists from varieties of background to support their practice. And that to me was a great gift. And also the audience reach of a museum like the AGO with over 100,000 People we were, I think, reaching in our, our HTML on a uh, on a, yeah. a regular basis. I mean, just scope is huge. But then, yeah. I think for true systems change to happen, there also has to be critical mass of BIPOC folks inside and in leadership to ensure it's 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 lived and authentic. Yeah. But there's another area, Suresh, where maybe one can influence social change, and it's not necessarily you and me as curators and programmers in self-created festivals or or. Uh, legacy institutions, it's in policy. You're also 
a huge part of the Vancouver cultural scene and on the advisory committee for Culture Shift. Sorry, no pun intended with this program. Um, Vancouver's new culture plan for 2020 to 29. Talk about Vancouver and how you've seen it change over your tenure and what does the plan outline for the next decade? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was quite quite valuable to work on or to be part of a process that that looked at this um, shift in where does one prioritize um, not only funding for culture, but also ways in which um, grants are designed, intakes are designed, priorities are highlighted, because you can change everything by simply creating a, a portal or a doorway that only certain people can enter. I mean, We've talked about this a lot with the arts as to where do you program. I mean, if you put something in an auditorium, you have a flight of stairs and a door and someone taking a ticket, you've already created, you know, by design, um, something that will keep a lot of people out. Um, and and so there was a, a lot of genuine concern and work done in Vancouver around this framing of the new plan. Um, and, you know, it was, it was great to have city leaders like you know folks like Branislav Henselman at the city or Lara Honrado at the time and, and and their whole team who really wanted to invite a change in the way that this was done in the end in many ways when you make a change at a, at a municipal level uh, with policy like that it is very much like a small festival like ours you know that you you know that you are limited in that your budgets and your ability to influence are really you know determined by by civic budgets, which is not really a, a lot. Um, but you create a sense of possibility in the hope that that ma- map might be taken up at, at other spaces. So if, if the province of BC or the, or the granters at the federal level, we're seeing change there too, um, uh, take up a more, um, uh, have greater awareness in the way that they build their policies, invite other people to design, because that's also hugely important when you change the design, you don't do it with the same people who have been designing it always. Um, for, for our listeners, Suresh, just to interrupt for a sec, how would, how would you kind of characterize the crux of Vancouver's 2029 culture plan? Mm-hmm. I think it just, first of all, just acknowledges <laughs> that there are, you know, there have been severe inequities and which continue to happen in terms of how many institutions you know, receive the core of funding and how many racialized organizations and indigenous organizations simply don't have the infrastructure to even deal with that kind of funding. Um, so I think, you know, as with all policy shifts, so, though, this kind of change is glacial and we are also talking about institutions that what are you going to do with the big ones? You know, are they going to crumble? So there is some implementation of some grants um, that have begun to be designed slightly differently that that have an intake to say we specifically support you know groups that have not got operational funding or do not have you know x number of people on their staff because you kind of need to have a staff member to do grants and report on grants to be able to get grants and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so i think there has been a shift in that there are now a, a series of grants that go out that look at um, not art with a capital A and not, not all of these institutions, but try to make space for uh, different ways of gathering and celebrating. And I think, you know, it's a start. 
but as I said, unless that's accompanied with a much more widespread shift, um, sometimes my fear is that when you when you make these shifts too incremental, that uh, you just invite end up inviting more people to a table with with few resources, <laughs> and um, you have to be very careful that uh, that that you're just not making everyone breathless. And I think you know you know as well as I do that part of the thing um, working in a BIPOC racialized organization in this larger landscape is that you are breathless a lot of the time. You are running around getting resources, you are reinventing structures, you are convincing people of your validity and you're getting an audience along. Uh, you just, yeah. Aren't you exhausted? As you, as you helm, I'm saying this with love and, and I, I mean, maybe you can't say this because you're on the air, but I, how are you going to take care of yourself next? Sarish? Of course. I mean, we are all exhausted, Devyani. I mean, it is, it is exhausting. At, at the same time, I mean, I don't know. There are certain things that give you... If the fight has, I don't know, wedges, glimmers of hope, cracks, <laughs> possibility, then they give you energy, you know, because it's, it's not that you're... It's not that you see no success. You, I think... I, I can feel proud, I think, that since we arrived here as a festival, we have really been responsible for creating the space and launching the careers of many uh, artists from the South Asian diaspora, of you know being a crucible for a, a lot of amazing collaborations that have resulted in work that, that have grown. So you see that happening. You see your ability to make space, and that is, to me, the big reward. And that is the big reward. And Suresh, I mean, on that note, because I want to get back to the art for a second and those glimmers of hope, um, your program, is, as we said, ranges from dance to literature, theater, to commissioning large-scale mural works. You've worked, when you're talking about those artists, you've worked with Anushka Shankar, Arundhati Roy, David Sheriandi, Shalene Knight, Eden Robinson, to Attached, which is Shaman Bilji and Vivek Shreya. Tell me about some of the highlights in terms of those artists that give you a glimmer of hope or, or you feel the festival have helped give space to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been, you know, that again, Devani, when you think of what gives you energy or what makes the work worth it, it is those moments. It is, um, it is when you're in the audience feeling that electricity that of course, you know, live audiences give that we've all been missing of, of seeing Shamik and Vivek on stage um, in, in, in the Imperial in downtown Vancouver and, and having this audience around who are just this mixture of surprise and delight and everyone looking at each other. Saying, Did you just see that? I just, you know, that moment of recognition that, that a spark just jumped from stage to the audience or um, this amazing collaboration between Ruby Singh, who's a hip hop artist in Vancouver and, and Rajasthan Josh, who, who you mentioned before, who's this amazing Sufi music group from India. And they've almost had a transcontinental call and repeat that began at the festival where they've been coming here, Ruby's been going there, and they've been playing in each other's homes and rooftops and um, concert halls. And it's a conversation that's grown over geography and time into this beautiful um rendition of uh, in their album Jalak which is is on Bandcamp so I, I would love people to check it out um, 
which I think is so rewarding to me. Or, or since we speak of hope, um, I remember the the last physical event that we did in in before the pandemic was with Arundhati Roy, in in, the, in November of 2019 um, when we released her her collection of writings, you know, My Seditious Heart, and um, where she said, "You need to." patrol the borders of your joy Beautiful. you know and 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 i think um i think that's somewhere where we've been talking about is that there is the work there is yourself and you are not just when you say take care of yourself you really mean take care of your community don't you um because yeah. it, i i think over here too there's I'm suspicious of of a certain kind of narcissism that says take care of yourself, although uh, almost as as if that means save yourself before you save others. But there is no saving of yourself if you don't have um, around you a, a loving, healthy uh, community. And I and I think to me that is it. If you it is work because it is work to patrol the borders of your joy, um, but then that joy is worth patrolling. So. So yeah, I mean, I think that those words to me um, were some of the most beautiful and powerful things that I that I heard spoken on our stages, and I'm I'm so so honored to to just create those spaces where people can come into into contact with something like that. And you've created them really beautifully, and your team and Laura and. I've had the pleasure of experiencing some of those moments, but I, I love that quote by Roy, and thank you for sharing it. I have just a few more questions, Suresh, but um, one of them in addition to, obviously, equity and space and change-making and the joy of programming is debate and dialogue, which has been a central part of this festival. And in an increasingly fractured world, you've often characterized Indian Summer as a festival for the curious mind, is there room for curiosity anymore? Always, always. I mean, I think that's the funny thing about curiosity of curious minds is that, yeah, I mean, I think there's always, um, no, no, always something interesting at the edges of things. Um, I, I love those crossroads and the intersections and the, and the, I don't know whether you call them marginalized or simply the syncretic um, but yeah, I, I think, um, in a way the festival we've designed is almost like a, like a feast, no, which is the root word. Um, it is that you invite people into a space that, which we know from how things are in India, this, this garrulous, argumentative, joyful space. And and that you can do both those things, um, celebrate and also interrogate. <laughs> and I, I totally agree with you and love that. I guess I'm just thinking it seems harder and harder to do that in increasingly an increasingly polarized space. But maybe that's just me, and it's the reason it's all more all the more important to have. Oh no! I mean, you're you're not alone, Devyani. It's like I think we're all just wondering how do you, you know, how do you throw out provocation without um, also damage? How do you nurture without losing rigor? I mean, these are these are always the questions, and and every time calls for a different 
emphasis, but but I, I do I do feel you and I and I agree. I mean I think you know and in a way why it's why it's nice to bring in fresh thinking after being you know after being a decade or more in the role is just maybe there's other conversations to be had. I mean I think these are important, but let's let's see let's see what else is out there. I think it's it's um, it's absolutely crucial if you to have a multiplicity of voices and to I think just be generous and tender with each other it's like um, yeah I mean I don't think that being in the position of a institution or a cultural curator means that you determine the narrative it's it's more that you are you are to be a, a very active listener absolutely and on that, you know, on that note, I'm going to get back to where you may be going next. But in terms of curatorial practice, and before this, you were a publisher. You were the director of Tara Books, working for 10 years in publishing in India out of Chennai. You yourself have authored 20 books. Um, how do you balance your own curatorial practice with your writing practice? Well, uh, the short answer is I don't. It's it's just been so long, so long since I've written, which is one of the things I'm I'm really looking forward to is is having more time with my own writing because it's been, you know, getting this organization off the ground has taken a lot of energy and time and which I've gladly given. Um, uh, but there are so many questions that turn around, you know, inside my own head as a writer. So many, you know. Uh, flickering serpent's tails that <laughs> that make me curious that I want to follow, um, but but I know that my work now is to amplify the work of artists that I respect and admire, and and to some extent it's come at the cost of my own expression. So certainly making space for that is is on the agenda. Um, yeah, just just limbering up those those muscles again and you're doing that you're writing a book yeah. <laughs> I, well, as i say like that's uh that's the story of my life after 15 years of what i considered the most enriching practice of of curatorial and programming and amplification and supporting other people's practices i was like oh yeah i have one too i haven't picked it up and dusted it off in 15 years yeah. so yeah, yeah. it's been really great to to be working on a work of nonfiction and and to also be doing some curatorial work but not um I almost got lost in in that role of cultural programmer, in in a really good way, but also in a just forgetting my my own work way. And so I hear you a hundred percent. I find both actually practices in and of themselves and equally enriching in different ways. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure it is. It's yeah, it's. I think it's. I don't know if it's drastic change or just being more intelligent. It just feels like everyone is. Just paying more attention to themselves, their surroundings. When I say everyone, I mean like you know. I, I feel like there is a there is a great shift in terms of just understanding where one wants to give energy and care. And and I'm happy to say for a lot of folks that I'm talking to, it is it is in beautiful acts of creation like you're you're embarking on or you're in the middle of because you're. I'm so looking forward to your book, by the way. Um, oh, as a as a friend, as a as a colleague, and as also as as a former publisher, um, nothing makes me more excited than than seeing someone's work come out in, as a book. 
I, I really appreciate it. And um, I, I think what you also touched on is, as you said, this this kind of the, the great reevaluating of values that are leading many people to make life changes like yourself, Suresh, in terms of stepping down. And maybe we'll, I'll, I'll ask for the last question of, you have a young daughter, you're, you know, you have been full on for 12 years. What is next for you? And is there a reevaluation of ambition and the need for title and leadership versus, as you said, your own creative practice? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I wish, um, you know, it, it's funny, Devani, like every major shift or every new direction for me has, again, come from a, from a really interesting thing of, uh, of a wholehearted leap, leap of faith, in a way. Um, I began thinking I would be a mountain guide. I, that's what I trained to do. Um, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, in the Himalaya. So I I began by by that's that's the only thing I have a piece of paper and a certificate for, <laughs> which is um yeah, which is climbing and 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 uh and then ended up somehow in, in, in writing and publishing because that had always been a calling. So I mean I often find that that our jobs or our titles or our institutions again are are only the current format, are only the you know the the present shape that we have to offer. Whatever else is always much deeper, always always there. Um, so I mean, I I, I don't think um, you know in, in a way it, it's always to me storytelling um, that is that is a deep calling, and and so. I'm excited to explore some of those avenues, ways of storytelling that I haven't quite um, dug deep into for a while or new possibilities that have opened up. Um, that and what shape, what house um, it will take. I'm, I'm as excited as anyone else to figure out. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. And I just want to say thank you for your time and generosity and very excited to see where you go in your leap of faith and also where the organization you and Laura built goes in its next iteration of holding space for artists on the coast. Thank you. It's surrounded by, you know, I think our, like we said, our, our baby is ready to walk. It's surrounded by so many good people. And um, it, it is a thing when you, I think when you build an organization and it belongs to community, you, you feel like you've, that, that's what you set out to do, and I, that's what I feel with Indian Summer, and it's it's lovely to see it, to watch it um, go into its next step. So we still have one festival left to do in July, so come out for it, Devani. I will, Suresh. I totally will. And thank you so much for your time, and we will talk again soon. 